We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The news on flavored e-cigs talks a lot about the technology and teen use. But parents need to know more about the dangers of nicotine. So know this. One, nicotine is a toxic poison that can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can increase mood swings. Three, it can limit attention and learning. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. You are listening to Rotoviz Radio, a fantasy football podcast, with your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt of the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we're talking about the Indianapolis Colts. In between the NFL Combine and the draft, I am interviewing beat reporters for every franchise, 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes. We're covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I'm joined by Stephen Holder of the Indy Star, where he covers the Colts. In this episode, he talks with us about the saga of Andrew Luck, the roster that new head coach Frank Reich is assembling, and what the team is likely to do with the number six overall pick. Before we get to the guest, I would like to remind you that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the premium NFL content on the site and it supports the pod. All right, let's get to the guest. Please 
welcome to the show, Stephen Holder of the Indie Star. You can follow him on Twitter at HolderSteven, where he provides up-to-the-minute news on everything to do with the Indianapolis Colts. Stephen, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fantastic time of year. So we're recording this on Thursday, April 5th. Uh, the Masters has just started. Uh, baseball is in full swing and uh, the draft is is in sight. Uh, and uh, but of course, I think the big question for the Colts, you know, it seems as if everything revolves around the health of Andrew Luck. Uh, is there anything that you can tell us in terms of how everything is going with his uh, his recuperation and rehab process? Yeah, so I feel like with Andrew Luck right now, the the reality is that good or no news is good news. And, and what I mean by that is you haven't heard anything alarming, I don't believe, in, in quite some time. And and what we have heard has been promising. And I know there's been there's been very incremental updates, and there's been no major update that that sort of uh, spells out doom or or something that's very, very, you know, on the positive end of the spectrum either. But at the same time, what we have heard has always been him getting closer to where he needs to be, however incremental those updates have been. So when you hear him working with throwing specialists and Tom House and, and guys like that, that is not a matter of Andrew Luck rehabilitating. That's more of him trying to, to re or sort of find again, recapture his mechanics because he's been off for so long and has had a lot of work done on that shoulder. So he, he needs to kind of find his mechanics again. Uh, So that's a good thing because that's, that's the precursor to actually getting back out there and and actually throwing in an NFL environment. Uh, It's not a matter of whether he can throw. It's a matter of, of doing it the right way and having all of his mechanics in form the way the Colts want them so that, and the way Andrew Luck wants it, right? So that he doesn't stress that shoulder more than he needs to. Structurally, the shoulder's fine. And really now, as I said, it's just a matter of avoiding the soreness that prevented him from playing in 2017. And there have been no indications that I know of so far that he's had a bout with that again. So they seem to have, at this point, corrected the soreness issue. And if they have, if they can do that, then there's nothing that I anticipate that will prevent him from playing in 2018 so the Colts everything within the organization uh they everyone in the organization they are operating under the assumption Andrew Luck is playing in 2018 so I think we should take our cues from them uh, because they learned a hard lesson last year and I think this time they're crossing all their T's and dotting all their I's well looking back at last season I'd like to get a sense from you of how the the messaging differs from what we had last year because it was it was a slow trickle of information coming out last year and so I think for for people who aren't there in Indianapolis and and consuming news on a regular basis it seems as if things now are very similar to where they were last year so how how can you tell that it's different all right well let's go back to last year and and give a breakdown of what happened so I, I don't think the Colts necessarily misled anyone or anything like that because that that must, that perception is out there and I understand why it's out there uh, but let me tackle that real quick so what you had was a situation where medically the doctors were looking at Andrew Luck's shoulder and saying it looks good and it did look good right I mean structurally everything was fine you know they've done these surgeries before it's not it's not a new procedure 
certainly. So structurally, he was doing fine. He was rehabbing and on pace. Um, you know, maybe not ahead of pace, but he certainly seemed to be where he needed to be. And once he finally did get back into uh, a throwing regimen, and I saw him throw, got back out there and, and started practicing. He ran the scout team a few times in an effort to kind of get him back into uh, the practice habit. Uh, he started having this soreness, and that was the surprise, and that's where everything changed. They never anticipated it. Uh, the doctors never anticipated it. The team never anticipated it, and that was why things just never went the way they indicated they would. Uh, so what you have is a situation where things changed, and no one anticipated it. So I, I don't think they ever expected that to happen, so they never – accounted for it in their comments and in their in their uh, forecast of what Andrew Luck was going to do in 2017. So now they, they have obviously taken that into account and tried to figure out why that happened. That's why he was over in the Netherlands doing this alternative type of therapy. Look, it wasn't you know some sort of one-and-done treatment that he did, some experimental thing. No, he was doing a a very intensive rehab process, and that's why he was there for weeks on end. This was not a, a one-day thing where you get a, a shot in your, <laughs> of, of some sort of potion, right? I mean, this was, right. which is, you know, what you, you wonder about, right? Why is he in Europe? Well, it's, there were rehab specialists there who have a clinic there who are renowned for the type of therapy that he needed. And so he did that at a very intensive level for quite, quite some time. And that is that was, I should say, an effort to to deal with the source of the soreness from 2017. So if that effort was successful, and it seems as if it has been from everyone that I have talked to, then that I think is the biggest hurdle, um, because that was the only thing that prevented Andrew Luck from playing last year. He was going to play. He had his heart set on it. He had his mindset on it, and the team was was going to back him on that. Uh, and medically, he was cleared. So if they've dealt with the soreness, there's no reason Andrew Luck can't play this year because it's the only thing that prevented him from playing last year. And, it, again, and it seems as if, based on the indications I've gotten and, and certainly everything they've said, that they have dealt with that soreness. All right, so the team has its quarterback, and now it looks like it has a coach uh, who is you know, something of a, a quarterback whisperer in, in Frank Reich uh, who's had success uh, and now is with the team. Can you talk a little bit about uh, even just preliminarily what you've seen with him as the head coach uh, versus the previous regime of Chuck Pagano? Well, for starters, uh, Frank Reich is an offensive head coach, and that that's a big change. Now, I, I don't get too caught up in, in those labels because I think sometimes we make too much of them, but, but I like from the beginning, I, I liked the idea of an offensive head coach for the Colts. And obviously, we just finished talking about Andrew Luck, right? I mean, if Andrew Luck is successful, the Colts are going to be successful. I mean, that's that goes for any team with a, a franchise quarterback of his pedigree. So there are other factors, obviously, as well, but but that's a big one. And And I think that oftentimes, or so many times over the last few years, I think Andrew Luck had been held back and, and what I mean by that is he's played in three different offenses in his first five years, and that is not a recipe for success. You have a offensive head coach 
Now, what that allows you to do is have continuity in the scheme, and you keep building upon that as opposed to, to changing your coordinator and therefore changing the scheme. If, a, if, if assistant coaches change under Frank Reich, well, the scheme's not going to change. And that, I think, is very good for, for every offensive player in this scheme. And I mean, if you look at the teams that have a lot of success on offense, I mean, you know, many of them have had that kind of continuity. And that, you know, the, the Eagles are maybe the, you know, sort of the outlier there, right? You know, a team that two years into a new regime, you know, won the Super Bowl. But, but I think consistently over the years, the teams that have had a lot of offensive success, oftentimes some of that can be traced at least to having offensive consistency and continuity. Uh, the Patriots, there's no better example than New England, right, and, and, this, and the continuity they've had on offense, both from the coaching standpoint and the scheme standpoint. So I just think the Colts and Andrew Luck will benefit from that. And the other thing I'd say about Frank Reich is I just like his approach. I mean, he's a down-to-earth guy. He's, he's, he's kind of – you know, at first glance, he's kind of dull, right? And you wonder, like, well, how's this guy going to motivate anybody? But then, but then you start to listen to him, and and he'll surprise you once in a while, and he'll throw something out, and you're like, oh, okay, this guy is defiant, and he is, you know, he's a guy who's going to take the bull by by his horns. He's not a, you know, the the guy who you might think he is when you hear that he's, you know, a former minister, right? And he's always kind of been a guy in the background, right? I mean, he, he really isn't, I don't think, that guy or won't be that guy when he gets up in front of his team. And I think, uh, but I think his ability to also be very down-to-earth and be, you know, a meek guy as well uh, will, and, and be humble, I think that will go a long way to in allowing him to endear himself to his team. So I'm very interested to see how it goes you know, when he gets in the building next week with his players, the Colts reconvene on Monday uh, for their off-season workouts. They get a little head start, obviously, with the coaching change. So I, I really like this move. And I, I didn't – I never really considered Frank Wright, you know, when the Josh McDaniels uh, news appeared to be official. Um, I, I didn't give Frank Wright a lot of thought. But after the Josh McDaniels situation blew up and, and they turned to Frank Wright and I started to really learn more about him, I've really come to like this hire. And I think he's a good fit for this team. You, you recently wrote a piece in which um, you noted that Frank Reich has said that he doesn't view the team as being in a rebuilding phase. And I, I think that makes some sense, given that he's coming from Philadelphia, where it was a, a new coach, a new staff, a new quarterback. And within two years, they won a Super Bowl. Uh, looking at the the additions that the team has made and the state of the roster, <clears throat> the state of the roster right now, uh, what are your thoughts on this offense? It needs some work. Uh, it needs quite a bit of work. And if you go back to 2017, so Chris Ballard comes in as general manager uh, after Ryan Grigson is fired, and he proceeds to basically completely blow up the defense. Now, the defense was not on paper very good. But I think if you, if you spend as much time around the team as I do, you saw that that there were signs of life in that defense. And what I mean by that is the arrow was at least pointing in the right direction. What we saw prior to that was an arrow pointing without question down on defense. So, so anyhow, we'll see how they, how they progress in 2018. 
but they're very young, and that's good. There's upside there. So, so the defense, they need more talent, but, but there's at least a basis of young players over there that they can point to and say, all right, well, we think you know, in two years that guy is going to be a really good player, right, Quincy Wilson and, and the like. But offensively, the Colts find themselves in a little bit of the situation they were in defensively. Okay, in 2012, the first year under uh, Brian Grigson and Chuck Pagano, they obviously had great drafts. It's not just Andrew Luck. They got C.Y. Hilton. They got Dwayne Allen, Kobe Sleener. They had a lot of talent in that draft. And, and what, what happened is, frankly, they never really supplemented it and restocked it. And so all those guys are gone, <laughs> frankly, and other than Luck and, and Hilton. And so it's time to really, I think, go back and invest really richly on, in the offense and, and really restock that side of the ball. They have to do it. I mean, their skill position talent has really eroded, and that's just unfortunate. They, they really have to go back and, I think, address uh, wide receiver, uh, running back. They have uh, several positions over their key positions that they have to address and, you know, in, in sort of a, a, a significant way because they're going to get left behind over there and not surround Andrew Luck with enough help. So I think, like I said, offensively, they have a lot of work to do. So you mentioned their skill positions, uh, running back, wide receiver. And, and so the team has made some additions. Uh, it brought in Ryan Grant. It brought in Eric Ebron. Uh, how do you see those two guys fitting into uh, the fabric right now of the team? Yeah, I, I like those additions. Now, they'll be, they'll be overlooked for different reasons, right? I mean, Eric Ebron... Look, people. A lot of people in in Detroit, in particular, are going to be down on this guy, and that's fine. I understand it. Uh, he certainly didn't endear himself to people with some of his comments, and and then when you drop the football, I mean, no one wants to hear what you have to say anyway. So I get that. That's fine. What I what I would say though is what he's going to be asked to do in Indianapolis is not what he was asked to do in Detroit. He also won't have the pressure of having to live up to the first round pick status. That won't be a factor here. No one in Indianapolis cares that Eric Ebron was a first-round pick. It doesn't matter. They didn't pick him. So so I think it's a good spot for him. And he, he's already coming into a situation with Jack Doyle, who is, you know, for all intents and purposes, still going to be the number one tight end. So it's a good spot for Ebron, and it's a, it's a good – I noticed in talking to Frank Reich, this is a really important addition for him. He talked at so much length last week at the owners' meetings about – all the things that he can do with Eric Ebron. So I think he will supplement the lack of depth at receiver. Eric Ebron is going to be a guy who's not going to be called upon to go block Von Miller. No, he's going to go out there and move around and, and be a guy who's a chess piece for the offensive coordinator, or really for Frank Wright, the play caller. And, and that's going to help him. Ryan Grant is a good fit for this offense. i tell you why, because he is a, a sure-handed guy who can run inside routes, and that helps them a lot. Uh, he's not look, he's not special necessarily, and I get that. I mean, he's some people would say he's just a guy, right? But I I think he can be more than that here, just because there's a void in what he does. There's there's such a lack of it on this team. So this guy, I, as I said, really shorthanded in traffic on the inside routes. Well, that's not T.Y. Hilton's game, okay? And that's certainly not Eric Ebron's game. I think they can, I think, or should, I should say Ryan Grant can 
really take advantage of that opportunity there. And, and that's going to help Frank Reich because he wants to get rid of the football quickly. He wants to get it out of this quarterback's hand. And the way you do that is by having guys who are tough on those short routes, those inside routes in many cases. Uh, that's going to help the quarterback uh, know that he can have a, a trustworthy guy um, who's going to be, you know, he's going to be able to get the football to in adverse situations. So I think Ryan Grant could succeed here or at least has an opportunity to succeed here. So I actually like both those pickups. I think it's a great start for what they need to do on offense, but they got to do more. So you mentioned earlier the need for the offense to retool. And, uh, you know, with, with that first round pick, uh, when the team was at number three, there was a question about what they might do. Uh, they had a fantastic trade. I thought it was a great trade for them to move back three spots they acquired multiple picks, uh, multiple second-round picks. So uh, I think a fantastic job there. At that number six pick, um, do you have thoughts about where they might be looking to add? And specifically, do you think they're looking for an offensive player there? Well, I don't. I don't think they'll limit themselves to an offensive or defensive player. Uh, I don't think they're going to look at it that way. Uh, Look, we know that they really like three particular players, right? And, and this won't be a secret. Uh, Quentin Nelson, Bradley Chubb, Saquon Barkley, in no particular order. They, they like those guys a lot. Um, but I, I do think that a couple of things. It, it's really going to come down to, you know, with Bradley Chubb, for example, who I think is probably the most sensible pick. But with him, it's going to come down to whether they feel he's what – they want. And what I mean by that is we know he can rush the passer. We know he can be productive and we know he can certainly stop the run. Uh, the Colts though, they're really emphasizing speed on defense and they're talking about athleticism and speed and getting to the football. And that is going to be the, the, the calling card of their new scheme. And I wish I could say with certainty that, that they can look past that uh, with, with Bradley Chubb. I, I don't know that though. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying they don't like him. They clearly like him. And I, I've had conversations with people that, that indicate as much, but, but I don't know if, I, I just wonder if that's a problem for them. And I, I don't, it doesn't mean that he's not an amazing player. I, that is not the suggestion at all. All I'm saying is if you're going to spend a number six pick on that guy, uh, it, how important is it for them that he is exactly what they're looking for? Right. And, and I don't know that answer. So with Quentin Nelson, though, uh, that is that that's an easy one. I mean, if if he's what's left on the board, you pick him and, and you don't look back, in my opinion, because uh, with the Colts, they have uh, they've had a lot of problems protecting Andrew Luck, as you obviously know. And this would, I think, give them three key pieces on the offensive line that they can continue to build around, and that's that's a great start. Uh, Anthony Casanzo, Ryan Kelly, who certainly is a high ability player. And, and to have Quentin Nelson, that will put you in a good spot. So, so either way, they really are uh, they're really in a, in a position to really improve their football team. As it relates to Saquon Barkley, who I, I assume won't be there, but, but let's just throw it out there for, for kicks. Um, I mean, he's an amazing player, and, I mean, I'd love to cover a guy like that. What I wonder about, though, is with Frank Wright, uh, I don't think that position is – is as valuable in his offense. Uh, if you look at what the Eagles did, and that will be the model, 
I don't think the Eagles are a team that that thrives necessarily, or their offense isn't isn't an offense that necessarily thrives on that that one elite running back. I mean, they did it by committee, and they were fine with that. And and I think the Colts may take a similar approach. So I wonder what that means in terms of Saquon Barkley and and his potential fit with the Colts. All right. That was fantastic information. I have several follow-up questions <laughs> based on that. <laughs> so uh, I think I think you're right that it is probable Barkley will not be there. Uh, I think it is very possible that three, maybe four quarterbacks will go uh, within the first five picks. So I think it could be a situation where it is it's Chubb versus Nelson there and the teams having to decide. And right now, it seems as if you were thinking they would prefer Nelson to Chubb. I, I mean, this is my gut feeling, not necessarily right. something they, they've admitted to me because I don't think they're going to ever tell me. But, but what I would say is I, I just feel like I just feel like he's possibly got a slight edge. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. it's slight. And I, I, but, but again, uh, the comparison I've gotten on Chubb from inside the organization is, is, uh, is Terrell Suggs. And that's a pretty good comparison. Now he's not, you know, he's not going to be a freak, right? He's not a guy. He's not, I mentioned Von Miller earlier. He's not Von Miller. He's probably never going to be a Von Miller type of player, but he can be a very productive player. And, and I think the Colts, are are convinced of that. Uh, the, so the question here for me is, um, you know, do they think they can, uh, do they think they can address their offensive line in other ways? Um, you know, if you stack, if you stack Nelson versus Chubb, right. And, and you're trying to figure out, you're, you're doing the pros and cons. I think one big part of that uh, analysis has to be how else can we fill that need? Cause those are both needs, right. Offensive line and, certainly um, pass rush for them. And for me, I would say, though, it's a big part of this evaluation. How do you fill that pass rush need? A guy of of this caliber, you can't find that anywhere else, right? I mean, you have to find that in the top 10. I mean, you go through – I've gone through the the all-pro teams in the last few years, and when you look at the pass rushers, you can't find a guy who was drafted past the second round. Okay, they're just not there because – that's where elite pass rushers get drafted. They're, they're high draft picks. So I, I think that is a question for the Colts, and, and that is something that could, even if Quentin Nelson is, is equal to or a, little, or a little better player in their mind, that could tilt the scale potentially. And I don't know that Chris Dyer looks at it this way, but I'm just giving you, you know, sort of a human nature approach to this, right? I mean, the reality is if you can't find that anywhere else, Maybe you need to think about it. I think we would all agree that you can find guard talent other er- in other areas of the draft. Maybe not Quentin Nelson. Clearly, you won't find Quentin Nelson. But if you can find that other- in other places, then you can fill that need. Uh, with Bradley Chubb, I don't know that you can. So let's say that um, it-, it works out where it's just Chubb there. So let's say three quarterbacks have gone in the top five, and then Nelson and Barkley are gone. Uh, at that point, it's Chubb, and then there's you know a fourth quarterback who is on the board. Do you think the team looks to take Chubb? Do you think maybe they trade down to someone who might want another quarterback? 
do they maybe look for someone like Roquan Smith? What, what do you think that they do there if there's maybe just one player, one of those three players there, and it's maybe one that they aren't quite as sold on? Oh, I think they'll take phone calls. There's no question. I think they will. They're, they're not going to go into this, I, I don't think, looking to trade their pick. I don't believe that's the case. And everything that I've been told is that they're comfortable at number six, and that's where they want to be. Mm-hmm. But, but they will listen. They will absolutely listen. And I actually feel like the, their best chance, or the, the, if they do make a trade, put it this way, I think the, the odds are that it would happen on the clock on draft night because mm-hmm. I just don't, I think that's where the value is going to be. Their best shot at, at a trade that, that lands them some real value is having a quarterback or two slide. And so I've talked to Chris Ballard about this and, you know, he's talked about his best case scenario and worst case scenario. And, and obviously you work off the worst case scenario for them. And, and right now, what they consider worst case scenario is two quarterbacks in the top five. And I think we all assume there should be at least that many. So if that's the worst case scenario, they could still end up with one of that trio. Uh, but, but, but now what if these, what if those quarterbacks start getting pushed down, right? What if there are only two? So now, you know, say Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen are, are sitting there or, you know, whoever, whatever combination, uh, at number six, well, I th- I got to think the phone lines are going to light up. And, and that's where you right. can auction off that pick potentially. And, and the Colts, look, they're in a position where they want to accumulate picks. They're looking for special talent. There's no question. But, but there's also a lot to be said for accumulating uh, key picks. And, and they are very much in a pick accumulation mode. And that's why for them that, that trade from number three to six was so valuable because it really i think put them in position uh, to over the next two years to really restock that young basis of talent so that will be uh, a determining factor in any trade decision they make i mean they are looking at restocking this roster and you can't do that without draft picks so i think coach listen i don't think it's likely but i think they will listen and depending on what happens it could increase the chances of them making a deal all right, so you mentioned earlier the uh, the need to accumulate picks, and in the trade down from three to six, they were able to get two second rounders for this year. So they have three picks in the second round, uh, and you mentioned that it would be a great class for them to be able to, uh, to add to the skill positions. Do you see day two as, as the time when they will probably select some of their future guys to help Andrew Luck? Oh, yeah, very possible. Um, look, they they are going to have a, a great opportunity in the second round. Um, I mean, just look at the picks that they have. I mean, they've got uh, they've got the fourth and fifth pick in the second round, and then 17th pick, I believe, which is uh, 49 overall, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, that is that's a gold mine right there. And 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 then if you talk to Chris Ballard, he would also mention just as an aside uh, with the Jets trade that they made. They picked up a second next year. So they have right now, I believe, uh, seven picks in the top two rounds over the next two drafts. That's huge. I mean, that is an enormous amount of talent if you hit on those picks. So they're looking at this as as their future, right? This, these, if, if they ever make a Super Bowl run, their hope is these are the guys that get them there. 
These should be the these guys should make up the core of that team, right? Uh, so this is really a, a huge, huge moment for them. Uh, I think you know you talk about wide receiver. That is certainly an option. I think running back is is on the table. I don't know that they do it in the second round. They don't have to, but but I do think they need an additional running back there. They need you know, probably a, potentially I should say a starting running back, frankly, because uh, I think Marlon Mack is whether he is that is a is still questionable and still. Uh, the jury is still out there. So, yes, I do agree. That is where you're going to see, I think, a lot of their, their, their skill position or some skill position talent really be a, a consideration for the Colts. Are there any players you've kind of heard rumors about who might fit that draft range or, or any players uh, just kind of as you've been looking at some of these prospects that you think like, yeah, that guy seems like he would really fit in well with what the team is looking to do in 2018 and moving forward. Uh, I have less of a sense on offense and I know that's what we've been talking about, but, but I will tell you uh, that when you look at defense, and and that's something I've heard. I, I know a little bit more about what they're going to do defensively because uh-huh. their defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus was hired even before Josh McDaniels pulled out, right? So, and I've talked to Chris Ballard at some length about this. You know, they want to run a Tampa two like scheme. It's not the traditional Tampa two, but it's going to have a lot of similarities. It's basically going to be what the Cowboys do. And and what I've been told and what has been impressed upon me is that we want speed and and that has been shouted from the mountaintops this is going to be all about speed you saw the Colts cut Jonathan Hankins right last month or I should say yeah last month and and you look at that and you're like wait a minute Jonathan Hankins was the best defensive lineman why would you do that and there's only one reason it's because he's a two-gap space eater for the most part I mean he can do other things granted and has but that's what he's best at and so they wanted a guy to get off the ball and get up the field and, and chase quarterbacks. And, and that's what they're looking for. He just didn't fit their scheme. You can argue about whether it's a good decision, okay, and I, and I have, but I, I will say they're very, very clear what they're looking for. So I say all that to say, I, you know, I look at guys like, I don't know if they'll draft Chubb, but say they don't. You know, you look at a guy like Josh Sweat from Florida State, okay, and this guy, you know, what an athlete. Uh, he's he, he ran amazingly at the combine. Uh, he, he showed out on all the uh, the agility drills and what have you. So I, I look at that guy and I say, you know what? I I gotta believe he's a guy they're looking at. You know, and, and again, no one's told me that, but but if you look at the profile and you and you listen to them, and Sweat doesn't have the, the sack numbers um, from what I recall, but but I think with that kind of ability, you know, I'd like to see him put in a defense like the Colts and see what he could do. I think it would be very intriguing, right? So so I think that's the profile. And, it, you know, specific names gets hard, but, but I think that's the right. profile of what they're looking for. And and I think that should be paramount. If, if it's not number one, it's 1A, I will tell you. is They want guys who get to the football. They want speed. All right, this has been a fantastic question. I'm sorry, a fantastic conversation. Uh, one final question here. Uh, Frank Reich, how much control do you think that he has over the, it's not the organization, uh, but just in terms of uh, the the players that they will end up selecting in his relationship with Chris Ballard, 
uh, how do you think that goes? Who really has kind of the final say on some of these players in the first and the second round? It'll be Ballard having the final say. That That is certain. But I would say, though, that the Frank Reich and, and his staff really uh, have spent a lot of time over the past two months with the personnel staff and the, and the front office staff kind of getting on the same page and, and explaining to them what they want. And look, Chris Ballard and his staff, they're smart enough to know that you've got a new coaching staff. Well, I mean, you've got to be fair to them. You've got to give them what they need. So I, I do think that what Frank Wright wants will be represented in the Colts draft picks. I don't have any doubt about that. Uh, look, for Chris Ballard to succeed, Frank Wright has to succeed. So, uh, and that's true of every organization. But but it, it won't necessarily be a situation where, where Reich gets the final call, but I think his wishes will will be taken into account, and especially where you have uh, new schemes on both sides of the ball. I mean, you've got a lot of work to do. You've got to really replenish those, replenish the roster, and you've got to give those coaches the types of players that they need. So I think they'll be on the same page, and, and hopefully they can continue to do that because that's certainly something that was an issue with the Colts' former regime. All right, Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, and uh, I hope to get another opportunity to talk with you again as we get closer to the season. All right, that sounds great. All right, you take care. just finished speaking with Stephen Holder, a beat writer for the Indy Star. We covered a lot. Here are some of the thoughts I have on what we talked about. Uh, the first question always with the Colts, or I say always, the first question for the past couple of years has been, what's happening with Andrew Luck? Uh, it has been a saga. So, uh, you know, we are now closer to 2022 than we are to 2012 when Luck was drafted. And Luck has had a very good career, uh, but people seem to have cooled on him, especially in dynasty leagues. And it's understandable. That's what happens when a guy misses 26 games in a three-year span. But just to put some perspective on this, he was a low-end quarterback one as a rookie, which you know isn't all that common. Um, and I think how good he was as a rookie wasn't fully appreciated at the time because Robert Griffin III had, you know, an all-time great rookie season. And that was following the rookie season that Cam Newton had. So, uh, you know, I think Luck's ability, specifically his passing ability as a rookie, wasn't fully appreciated. But, you know, first-year player, low-end quarterback one type of season. Again, Fairly uncommon. And then he was a high-end, a top-four fantasy quarterback in his three full seasons after that. So when we have had a, a fully healthy representative Andrew Luck, he's been really good. And in some cases, he's been great. As a third-year player, he had 4,761 yards passing, and he led the league with 40 touchdowns. Only five quarterbacks in history have matched or surpassed those numbers. Now, granted, there is some era-adjusted inflation 
that goes into this. But even when you take that into account, those numbers put Andrew Luck in a pantheon of pretty impressive passers, right? Only five guys in history have matched or surpassed those numbers. Peyton Manning with Denver in 2013, when he quarterbacked the most prolific offense of all time. Drew Brees twice in 2011-2012, when he was at his peak Drew Brees just throwing the ball all around era. Matthew Stafford in 2011. He might seem like he's kind of random on this list, but he was throwing the ball a ton, and he was throwing to one of the most dominant wide receivers of all time in Calvin Johnson. Maybe you could say that Calvin Johnson isn't, you know, like the best wide receiver of all time, but he's sort of like in that Shaq mold where him at his peak, like he might be better than other wide receivers at their peak. Um, so Stafford throwing to, to Megatron, Tom Brady in the 2007 16 and 0 season and Dan Marino in the ahead of its time 1984 season when he broke, you know, all of the old single season passing records, right? That's it. That is the cohort. Four of the best quarterbacks of all time, and then a quarterback throwing a lot to one of the best wide receivers of all time. So in fantasy and in reality, Luck is a very desirable player, especially in, in Dynasty, right? If you have the opportunity to acquire him on the cheap, I think you do it. And I would say that uh, in a lot of best ball leagues, right, he's probably undervalued, you know, for, I don't want, for good reason, right? I mean, it's, it's fair for him to be discounted, right? But at this point, he's probably undervalued because people have multiple concerns. One, they're concerned about whether he's actually going to play, right? And, and that's fair, right? Um, but I think they're also maybe forgetting how good he was, right? He hasn't done anything for people lately. So they're kind of forgetting really how good he was when he was healthy and playing. And then there might be concerns about the offense around him. And, you know, on the one hand, those concerns are fair. On the other hand, he's never really had a good offense around him anyway. So even if you have Andrew Luck in the middle of an offense that is just sort of, you know, like whatever. That's basically the same thing that you've always had with Andrew Luck, right? So I think there's actually a lot of, a lot of potential upside with him. He has sort of quote unquote, like magical season upside, right? Especially now with Reich as the head coach. So when Luck was having top four production, again, he was doing it in relatively boring offenses coordinated by boring play callers, right? Pep Hamilton, 2013 to 2015, Rob Chudzinski, 2015, 2016, right? Imagine what Andrew Luck could do with a guy like Frank Reich, you know, mentoring and calling plays for him. Reich spent the first six years of the NFL coaching just in terms of his coaching career with the Colts, right? So he's familiar with the area. 
even if a lot of the people are gone, he's familiar with the the organizational structure. He worked with Tony Dungy and Peyton Manning. In 2012, he was the wide receiver coach for the Cardinals. He got to work with Larry Fitzgerald. In 2013 to 2015, he helped revive the career of Philip Rivers, right? Who, who at one point, several years ago, looked like he was toast. 2016, 2017, he helped develop Carson Wentz. He helped revive Nick Foles and build a system around him as the offensive coordinator in Philly. Reich spent his playing career as the backup to Jim Kelly in Buffalo, the backup to a very prolific offense. When he had to start, he did very well. Right, He has a lot of experience, and not just experience, a lot of positive experience, a lot of success in multiple roles. So there's a lot of potential that Andrew Luck has with a guy like that calling calling plays for him. Luck has had only one guy like that calling plays for him, and that was his rookie season when Chuck Pagano was not the head coach. I mean, I guess ostensibly he was the head coach, but he was dealing with health, health issues. And Bruce Arians, his offensive coordinator, was serving as interim head coach and actually won head coach of the year, right? That's the best guy that Luck has had. And Arians was great, right? And Luck had a great first season, but that was Luck's first season. He was adapting to the league. Arians was having to split his time, not just as coordinator, but also as head coach. And then he was gone after a year, right? It has been a half decade since Luck has had someone really good, someone good enough to be the coordinator and play caller and mentor for someone like him. So there's a lot of upside with Luck. And Reich, man, he's interesting. You know, it's hard to know what roster moves are his and what moves are, you know, kind of inspired by or spearheaded by general manager Chris Ballard. Uh, but together, they're making some some good moves. Um, you know, they let Frank Gore go and they replaced him with future Hall of Famer Kristen Michael. <laughs> uh, had to, yeah, Obviously, I'm joking. Um, but, I mean, it's a good thing to let Gore go. And what do you have to lose by bringing in someone like Kristen Michael? Right? Uh, you know, he's an upside player. You want upside players when you are at the bottom of the league in roster talent. You know, they brought in an upside player in Eric Ebron, right? Uh, he disappointed in his four seasons with the Lions, you know, as a first-round pick. He especially disappointed in his lack of touchdowns. But, you know, for for the Colts, and Steven touched on this, they're basically playing with house money, right? There aren't all the expectations with him. And what they are getting is a guy who is one of just 14 tight ends in NFL history with at least 2,000 yards receiving before his 25th birthday, right? Again, there's some era-adjusted inflation in that, but, you know, the list of tight ends to do that, it's a really good list. Rob Gronkowski, Mike Ditka, both of the Kellen Winslows, 
Tony Gonzalez, Jeremy Shockey, Todd Heap, Todd Heap, Jason Witten, right? Ebron isn't as impressive as those guys, but he still has a lot of potential. And his production to date hasn't been as bad as people believe. Adding a guy like Eric Ebron is a sharp move. Obviously, this team needs help, right? The defense needs help. The offense really needs help. The offensive line is suspect. At receiver, man, they have little depth behind T.Y. Hilton. Uh, I'm not buying Ryan Grant as a legit addition. Uh, Wasn't really impressed much with what he did in college. Um, Not a big fan of his biophysical profile. Didn't really do much, uh, you know, previously in the NFL. Chester Rogers, I think, is a very jaggish type of player. But, you know, you have Andrew Luck, your quarterback, and you pair him with a wide receiver in T.Y. Hilton, uh, you know, with a guy he's been throwing to since his rookie year, a guy who has averaged over 1,100 yards receiving per season, and then you add a good tight end duo in Eric Ebron and Doyle. You know, you have a back with some upside in Marlon Mack. That's not horrible, you know, especially once you start to supplement through the draft. And, man, I'm about to to go on a a side tangent here, but on the bench, you have Krishan Hogan, right? In case you don't remember who Krishan Hogan is, I'm going to remind you, right? He's a guy who, in college, did relatively nothing. Let me rephrase that. In high school, he did relatively nothing. So it was hard for him to get into a, a, a big program for college. He didn't do much his freshman year. He got kicked off the team. You know, he was trying to get into any school. So he went to Marion in the NAIA, right? So small school guy. But immediately, he became a star. Massively productive. As a sophomore, over 1,000 yards receiving, 11 touchdowns. He helped his team make it to the national championship game. The next year, he did way more. 1,800 yards, 16 touchdowns as a receiver. As a runner, 15 touchdowns as a runner. Right? Because he was so dynamic that the team used him as a wildcat quarterback in goal line situations on its way to a national championship. As a senior in 2016, just, you know, another season of basically the same type of thing, 1,400 yards receiving, 15 touchdowns receiving, 10 more rushing touchdowns, 12 games. Amazingly productive. Now, it's really easy to discount a player like that with production like that if he doesn't get any interest from the NFL. But Hogan did get interest from the NFL. He was actually invited to the Combine. It is incredibly rare for a a player from a school as small as Marion, for an NAIA player to get a Combine invite. And at the Combine, right, last year's Combine, 
he did not disappoint. I mean, he had legit NFL alpha wide receiver size. Six feet, three inches, 222 pounds. He didn't have amazing speed. He had simply, you know, kind of quote unquote, Larry Fitzgerald-esque type of speed. So for a guy that size, fast enough. A 4.56 second 40-yard dash. That's fast enough for a guy who is six foot three and over 220 pounds. What is really intriguing was the agility. 6.74 second three cone time. That's good agility for a guy who is Antonio Brown size. That's phenomenal agility for a guy who is basically uh, a bigger Alshon Jeffrey, right? With that type of size and athleticism, Hogan has the potential to line up all over the formation. Of course, he went undrafted last year. The NFL always undervalues players like Krishan Hogan. He had a chance to get a roster spot with the Arizona Cardinals. It, you know, it, it didn't work out. They were loaded at wide receiver. The Colts picked him up. They stashed him on IR last year. Right now, he legitimately might be the second best wide receiver on the Colts. Part of that is a dig at the guys on the depth chart ahead of him. They are astoundingly unimpressive. But he's also an impressive guy. right? Chester Rogers, Ryan Grant, neither of those guys really have the ability to be a number one receiver in the NFL. Krishan Hogan might not have that ability either, but he has a better chance than those guys, right? He, he has the prototypical attributes and he has amazing production. He has better production than those guys had in college and a better biophysical profile. There's opportunity on the Colts. There's some talent on the Colts, right? So... I guess I'm saying big picture, but how, how this, this Krishan Hogan tangent kind of folds into all of this is that there actually is some potential with this offense, given the weapons they have with luck at quarterback. At Fantasy Labs, uh, Ian Harditz, one of the, the all-star contributors there, uh, he wrote an article looking at the Colts and the, the team needs that they have entering the draft for the, you know, the 2018 season. I mean, it's basically what you would expect. They need help all over the place, right? They need help at the offensive line, really all over the offensive line. They need help at receiver. They need help at running back and on defense. They need help at cornerback and they need help at defensive end, right? So you see all of those, those needs. And so you have to ask the question, well, what does this team do? 
the good news is that this team has a lot of picks, right? They have the number three pick. They moved down to number six. They can still get a great player at number six. And for the, the pain of moving down three spots in the draft, they picked up two second rounders this year, the fourth and the fifth picks in the second round. And they also got a second rounder next year. Great trade. Fantastic trade. You know, I talked with Steven in the conversation about what might happen at number six. Uh, I think that they are very likely to to get Nelson, Barkley, or Chubb, right? I'd put it at 80% chance of one of those guys being there and, and then them drafting that guy. Maybe higher than that. In the Fantasy Labs mock draft that I uh, have most recently done, I have them taking Chubb at number six. It's a very straightforward, pretty smart pick. Uh, it's kind of, I think, the the chalk across the industry, right, that the Chubb will probably be there and that they will probably take him. It makes a lot of sense because he's a good player and he fits a big position of need for them. It's kind of, you know, the, the smart drafting, the perfect way to do it. They get the guy that they maybe would have taken at number three anyway. And they pick up, you know, a lot of extra draft capital. Uh, you know, I, Chubb is definitely there, I think, uh, if the teams ahead of them take three quarterbacks. Right? The Browns and the Jets, they are taking quarterbacks. I think there's a good chance that either the Giants or the Broncos will take one or that someone will trade up to take a quarterback. In that case, that would mean that either Nelson or Barkley or Chubb would be left one of those guys, and all of them fit a position of need. So it's perfect. They get um, a player that they're acquiring at a value. right? I think Nelson, Barkley, Chubb, all of them provide some value at the sixth pick. And they address a position of need. That's, you know, I, I think the ideal scenario, and I think that's likely to happen. If, and, and Stephen mentioned this, the worst case scenario is that only two quarterbacks are taken uh, in, in, in picks one through five. And then all of Nelson, Barkley, and Chubb are also taken. I don't think that's going to happen. If it does, then the team can really still get value. It's not as much value, but value at a position of need with either Minka Fitzpatrick or Derwin James at number six. Or they could trade down a few spots get more picks and maybe still get one of those guys. Maybe they could trade with Buffalo. They could trade down to number 12 and maybe they could get Buffalo's second first round pick in that transaction. Buffalo can move up to get a quarterback. That would make sense. They could, you know, in that situation, they would be getting the third quarterback off the board at number six. That's pretty decent for them. And at number 12, the Colts could get maybe Harold Landry, right? He addresses a position of need. They could maybe get Denzel Ward. They could get Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmonds. One of those guys would be available, right? So they could still get someone with the capacity to be a contributor right away. And they could, you know, for moving down again, they could add, you know, maybe a second player later in the first round. Maybe they again could pick up a second round pick, right? They are in a very nice spot. They're pretty much in a no-lose situation. 
right? And part of it is because they, they're in a no-lose situation because they have nothing to lose, right? They have so many needs that, uh, you know, they can, they can take value wherever and it kind of fulfills a need. And part of it is because so many other teams need quarterbacks that they have a lot of options for what they can do, right? And they can still get value basically wherever they draft, and they can address a need and maybe get more picks. And then in, in the second round, right, that's just kind of like first round strategy. In the second round, they have they have three picks, right? They, they can take their shot, right? They can add some fast players to the defense, right? Steven said that kind of in terms of the defensive philosophy, they want playmakers, right? They can get Josh Sweat from Florida State. Maybe they can get the cornerback Mike Hughes from Central Florida or, you know, cornerback Carlton Davis from Auburn. Maybe one of the, the strong guards will fall to the second round. Maybe Isaiah Wynn from Georgia, Will Hernandez from UTEP, or maybe one of the centers, Ragno of Arkansas, Daniels from Iowa, Billy Price from Ohio State. Right? Maybe they could look to running back, Nick Chubb maybe in the second round, Royce Freeman, maybe in the second round, maybe in the third round with him, or maybe Rashad Penny in the third round. Could you imagine Rashad Penny on this team? Like, I'm getting hot and bothered just thinking about Rashad Penny on the Colts. In round two, you know, maybe they take Cortland Sutton. Maybe he could be there. You know, round two, round three, maybe Michael Gallup, Right? They have three second rounders and a third rounder, the third pick in the third round. They have the fourth pick in the fourth round. I mean, they can fire, right? And if they are able to trade down in the first round from six to 12 or wherever, if they're able to maneuver just a little bit more in the first round, they could get even more, right? They have so much potential with what they can do within the first hundred picks. They can do a lot to rebuild around luck. And so much of this is because of the fantastic trade that they were able to maneuver thanks to Chris Ballard. And well, I guess also thanks to the Jets. But, you know, Chris Ballard was smart enough to be the guy at the poker table who took advantage of, of the sucker, right? In terms of Chris Ballard's performance, I wasn't blown away with what he did in his first year, but he also didn't have, you know, much of a chance with the cards he'd been dealt, right? No Andrew Luck. He was inheriting a coach. And I think it was, I think it was fair to Pagano, like kind of fair to the quote unquote process to give Pagano a chance, um, you know, to, to have more of a sample and some firsthand experience with Pagano as a coach so that he could evaluate him before firing him. I think that's fair, right? Um, but what that meant is that he didn't really have much of a chance without Andrew Luck. And then, you know, with Pagano there and basically a lame duck role, and with the the roster that he had been, quote-unquote, gifted by former general manager Ryan Grigson. But since then... Ballard's done some, I think, some pretty good stuff, right? I mean, 
the decision to hire Josh McDaniels. Um, it didn't work out, you know, but I think it was a good decision. He swung for the fences, right? Uh, it didn't work out fine. He swung big again. And this time he connected in hiring Reich. You know, he swung big in the trade with the Jets. I think he's doing the things a sharp general manager of a rebuilding team should be doing. You know, when luck has been healthy, this team has never had a losing season. The three other teams in the AFC South are all on the rise. Right? The Texans have Deshaun Watson. The Jags almost went to the Super Bowl, which still blows my mind. The Titans have an up-and-coming quarterback with a new coach. But if, if the draft goes well for the Colts, and that's a big if, but they have the picks to do it if the draft goes well for the Colts. I really might be looking at the over on their season win total after the draft whenever those numbers are released. Um, you know, just look at it this way. A year ago, the Jags had earned the old-fashioned way the number four overall pick. And they almost made it to the Super Bowl. The Colts are in a different situation. I, I acknowledge that. But for a team that just earned the number three pick, they have a lot of upside in 2018. Right? We have seen teams uh, a, able to turn it around fairly quickly. And Reich, he's been in one of those situations. Right? Just two years ago, he was with a team that was in a you know really bad situation. Coming out of the Chip Kelly era, two years later, won a Super Bowl. I think the Colts could compete sooner than a lot of people think. I don't think they're going to be competing for a Super Bowl in 2018. But uh, I think they could be competing for the AFC South. And um, I think there's a lot of upside with them. And that's going to do it for this Colts-focused special edition of Road of His Radio. Be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Rotoviz in the podcast feed. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colin Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email, roadofhisradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Road of His at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, roadofhis.com slash podcast. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. They call you the Grill Master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. 
get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.